All right, folks, it's the Buckeye Blitz, FanStreamSports.com, bringing this to you, powered by DSP Media. Uh, thanks so much for taking time to tune in today. You can follow me on the X at that happens with questions or anything you have for me. Um, please listen, like, follow, subscribe, share, all those things. Uh, we've got a, a great uh, talent lineup at Fan Street Sports and lots of great content. So please, like I say, like, listen, follow, subscribe, share, promote. What else? Anything. So um, we are eight days until Ohio State, Indiana, and Bloomington. Uh, tomorrow, this is being Friday now, so tomorrow is the very first official week of college football, week zero. Not a lot of great matchups. Notre Dame, Navy, Ohio University, San Diego State's intriguing to me, um, and USC, San Jose State on the docket as well. Um, oh, sorry, USC, San Jose State, yeah, on the docket as well. Um, an interesting idea by a, uh, a guy named uh, Scotty Vegas out at 97.1 The Fan here in Columbus, and he was saying that he thinks that the Big Ten should try to own week zero. And I would love to see this next year. I doubt it will happen. I think there's a lot of things rules-wise, like there are rules in the NCAA, I guess, but rules-wise, some things that why the, that will prevent this from happening. But I wish they would have nine Big Ten games, conference games, and week zero next year with Scotty Vegas' thought. And I love it. doesn't have to be marquee matchups up and down the line. You could have one in there if you wanted to. But um, well, I'm not saying for Ohio State, USC week one, or you know uh, USC, Penn State, or Michigan, Penn State. We want to say any of that kind of stuff. I'm just saying have nine Big Ten conference games, though, in week zero do it that way big 10 would kill the ratings um over what they're doing for notre dame navy tomorrow i'm sure and what they're gonna do for the usc san jose state game big 10 all across the board would kill that do six games on saturday and then do a triple header on sunday uh that would truly enhance week zero for me so um and again that was from uh scotty vegas out at 97.1 fan okay uh, still know the quarterback's going to be, starting quarterback. And Ryan Day spoke this week and said they're very even. It's like a 50-50 thing. He took a straw poll among all the assistant coaches, and it came out in a tie. So not sure who's going to be a starting quarterback. Uh, expecting, and according to Ryan Day said, you know, both are probably going to play against Indiana. As a matter of fact, I think both quarterbacks are going to play in all of the first three games when you've got at Indiana, hosting Youngstown State, hosting Western Kentucky. Even if there wasn't a quarterback controversy, I guess, that we'll call it. That seems a little strong. If there wasn't a quarterback controversy at Ohio State, I think those guys would both play all three games anyway because of the way the game's going to unfold. I expect Ohio State to... Indiana might be a little bit of a struggle early on. First game of the season. First road game start for one of these guys. Road game action for, for them um, against a Big Ten opponent. Could start off slowly, but I fully anticipate them dominating Youngstown State and Western Kentucky to the point where you will see a lot of backups and third string guys in there. So I think that's, they might not come out and say that's the plan. Maybe they will, but I expect all three to play. I just need to have a decision made, hopefully by the Notre Dame game. I don't want to see a two quarterback system or a quarterback looking over his shoulder when he makes a mistake, worried that someone's going to, I want to see a clear cut starter. And I hope that they're able to come up with that decision by the time Notre Dame rolls around in week four. That seems like to me that's the only um, position that needs to be decided for the most part among the starters. And so I, I think Kyle McCord will take the first snap at quarterback against Indiana. But like I said, they're both going to play. They're both going to play all three games. Just get it done before Notre Dame. I was looking at the um, the transfers coming in that have been to Ohio State. And by the way, Ohio State, I don't know if I've mentioned this on a podcast before, but among in the 2022-2023 transfer portal, the transfer cycle, if you will, um, Oregon State lost the fewest amount of players with eight. Ohio State was second with nine. They lost nine players in transfer portal, whereas Colorado, I know it's by design with Dion, but Colorado, though, lost something like 57 players. And 
it just speaks to stability of Ohio State. The other schools that are in this, like the top 10 of the ones, the, the fewest players lost, they're the only perennial contender for the, uh, for the CFP. The other ones are all like Oregon State. Good for them. Good school. You know, but they, they lost eight guys. That's probably because there wasn't a lot of opportunity to move up from Oregon State. And so Ohio State only lost nine. Good for that. I, I think that's great. It's a, it's a sign of what the the culture, the stability, the belief in Ryan Day, the players have, and where the program's at. So that being said, looking at the transfers that came in for Ohio State, the one I think who's going to make the biggest impact is someone who I didn't think this would be the case a couple of months ago when he transferred to Ohio State. Josh Simmons, not Jimmy Simmons. That's not his name. It's all been cleared up. I know Ryan Day called him Jimmy. It's Josh Simmons. Josh Simmons is an offensive tackle for San Diego State. Looks like he's locked in to the left tackle position as a starter. At San Diego State, Josh Simmons, he's a huge dude, by the way. But at San Diego State, he didn't really, I would say he struggled the first seven or eight games of the season. But the last quarter of the season, last uh, third, yeah, probably third, I guess I would say, he he turned it on and didn't allow any quarterback pressures, any quarterback sacks, uh, no holding penalties, completely clean the last four games. So he got better as the year went on. Now he comes here, and I thought, well, he struggled in the Mountain West for a while during the regular season. So how good will he be here? Turns out he's been great in camp. And so uh, going from you know a San Diego State program where he was not elite to Ohio State, where now he's a starting left tackle, that tells me that um, the impact that has been made put, put on him, though, by the coaching staff, the players around him, the conditioning staff, nutrition, all those things, body by Marathi, tells me that Josh Simmons is in line um, to have a big season. And the fact he is starting here now as a left tackle, it looks like, from week one after transferring him from San Diego State. Um, the receivers. The receivers saying all the right things about the quarterback battle. You know, they're saying that, you know, both of them are great. Uh, we'll succeed with either one. I believe those things are all true. One of the things, though, that Marvin Harrison said that was interesting that was not about the quarterbacks, um, but Carnell Tate, who's a true freshman this year for Ohio State, Marvin Harrison said that Carnell, T- Carnell Tate right now, the stud receiver, true freshman, is further along than he was as a sophomore. And that's saying something. Uh, Marvin Harrison said that's, um, you know, as a sophomore last year, Marvin Harrison was obviously all world. Um, every receiving category at Ohio State last year, he led as a sophomore. He is saying that Carnell Tate is further along than he was as a sophomore. He's further along now as a true freshman than he was as a sophomore. That was very interesting to me. Um, okay, uh, other Buckeye news here. Uh, for Buckeye, uh, Randy Gratishar, who played for the played under Woody Hayes and played for the Denver Broncos in the NFL during the 70s, early 80s. Um, he is a finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame from the senior committee. So you've got like your your modern day, your normal, the, the Hall of Fame things they vote on and they reduce it to fi- uh, semifinalists, then finalists, and they vote on it. And so they have two other sections. One is the senior committee. One is coach and contributor. And um, on the senior committee, um, they can nominate up to three players to be considered for the Hall vote. So... You know, Ken Anderson was one of the ones that were finalists this year. Um, uh, and so they go through the whole process. But Gratishar is one of three that are now going forward to be voted on as uh, potential Hall of Fame inductees. So in January, when they get together to vote, if, if Gratishar gets 80% of the vote or more, he will be inducted in the class of 2024. Um, Gratishar uh, was, um, like I said, a great NFL career with the Broncos. Uh, he, I think he averaged, it, it wasn't official tackle um, stats back then, but if you go back and look, I think it's been established that he um, 
Averaged about 200 tackles a season over his 10-year career. Never missed a game. Also phenomenal that a linebacker like his, the, the way he hit people, never missed a single game. Um, he was at Ohio State from 71 to 73. Woody Hayes called him the greatest linebacker he ever coached. He was a, uh, he also, this is interesting, he was sixth in the Heisman voting in 1973 as a linebacker. And um, he was a two-time first-team All-Pro for the Broncos, uh, NFL Defensive Player of the Year, uh, AP Defensive Player of the Year, I think in 1978 it would have been, led the Broncos to Super Bowl in 1977, part of the famous Orange Crush defense that also featured Tom Jackson, longtime ESPN analyst. Uh, but anyway, so... Uh, good for Randy Grasher. I hope he gets in. Well-deserved if he does. It's, uh, it's one of the reasons I like the Pro Football Hall of Fame so much is because they uh, there's a lot of really good players that aren't able to get in. Tells you how exclusive it is. I know it's got to be a tough voting process. I'd love to sit in one of those sessions when they're doing the voting and see how they debate some of these different players. Uh, but Grasher, though, will find out in January if he is, in fact, going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Urban Meyer said something recently. Um he uh, was he kind of called out Georgia and Michigan both by criticizing their schedules. Now, they both have cupcake non-conference schedules this year. You know, Michigan's got like what UNLV got Bowling Green. I, I don't know who the other school they have is, but they've got it. And Georgia's got the same thing. And Urban was saying that he thinks that the NCAA should step in and do scheduling, which will never happen. I mean, the NCAA is not going to do that. They don't have any power as it is. I think though, my hope is though that when we get to this now. 12-team playoff starting next season. And the the conference champions, the six highest-rated conference champions are going to get bids in automatically. And so it's easier to absorb a loss during the season. Uh, And so my hope is that with the chance of a better chance of a two-loss team for the Big Ten or SEC getting in, my hope is they will schedule better games. And I'm tired of seeing the cupcake schedules for years. And even schools like Ohio State, it seems like if you look at their schedule, there's like maybe two games or three games a year that kind of scare you. Not that you're saying they're going to lose, but at least it's one that's worth watching. And it hasn't been, that's not always the case where you have three. Usually it's just a couple of games. This year, Ohio State's got a tougher schedule having to play at Notre Dame, uh, at Wisconsin, at Michigan, and hosting Penn State. So it's a tougher schedule, but I want to see a season where like eight games kind of make me really want to be intrigued to watch the the results. I'm not sure what the outcome is going to be. I hope we get to that point now, but Irv Meyer, though, he said, look, what Georgia Michigan's doing is a joke. And um, he, uh, he, so he called them out for that. I, justified, I believe, but uh, also to be fair, completely transparent. Urban scheduled cupcake teams out of Florida too, when he was there. So um, I don't know if you can necessarily, uh, uh, you know, take that as the, the greatest messenger to deliver that speech about what they should do with scheduling. All right, let's talk recruiting now. Um, Ohio State picked up, they, they had some struggles recruiting wise lately with missing out on five-star guys or a five-star guy decommitted. Anyway, they got uh, Edric Houston this week, committed to Ohio State on Tuesday. And a five-star kid, defensive tackle. He's down in Buford, Georgia. Buford's where Dylan Rayola is. Uh, the guy who quarterback committed to Ohio State and then decommitted, uh, committed to Georgia. And now he moved over to Buford from, I think, Arizona uh, to Buford, Georgia. But Edric Houston, though, is a um, uh, the 23rd ranked overall prospect in the entire class of 2024. Fourth-rated defensive lineman. So 
Um, it, it's a good one there. I, I love I love what this kid can bring. I've looked at some of the film. He's 6'3", he's 265. So that was a big get for Ohio State to be able to grab um, Edward Houston out of Georgia, which is good. Now, a couple other recruiting notes. Um, there is, excuse me, um, there is a uh, Brandon Baker, who's a five-star offensive tackle, uh, number one offensive tackle in the country. He's out in California, and uh, he's got Ohio State on his final list, along with Georgia, Nebraska, uh, Texas, and Miami. It looks like they're probably the ones that are most likely to get him. That's according to 24-7 Sports, by the way. But Brandon Baker, 6'5", 285. Hopefully we'll hear from him soon on who he's going to pick, but Ohio State's still in the mix for that one. Another one they're in the mix for that we'll announce tomorrow on Saturday, the 26th, is uh, Zaquan Patterson. He's a four-star cornerback from the state of Florida down in Miami Gardens. I think he'll end up going to Miami. Ohio State, though, still in contention for him. That'd be a good one also. The 2024 class for Ohio State is uh, pretty much the thought of, consensus-wise, the second highest rated recruiting class uh, right behind Georgia. I think Michigan was 10th in that list, but uh, Georgia won Ohio State too. I think Ohio State's now got five five stars in the 2024 class. And again, could get another one depending on what happens Brandon Baker, which would be a huge get for them. So, um, all right, folks, it's here now. We're going to do start have to do more of these because there's a lot more to talk about. When we get any kind of news about if the quarterback news comes down at all, the coaches aren't talking yet until I think Tuesday to the media. Uh, but when we get any kind of news on what's going on with Ohio State quarterback situation or other things in general, recruiting news as well, make sure you check back here. Uh, like, listen, subscribe, do all those things. It's the Buckeye Blitz on Fan Stream Sports, powered by DSP Media. Follow me on the X at Fit Happens. Go Bucks! Have a great day.